Steve. And I'm Byron. And we are... Old Guys Bitching! What are you bitching about today, Byron? I'm bitching about you. Oh, that's... Just about you. You see, (laughs) you... You had promised to tell your guys with bent noses stories, and I didn't get to hear them. So obviously you were podcasting with somebody else. No, no, I I was saving it for this. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I and I, I will I'll tell my story when when uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles as a young uh, actor writer. Oh, young whippersnapper back in the 70s. I was in, being introduced to a lot of different people. And one of the guys I met was a like one of the top publicists in Hollywood. And he said, well, I've got somebody for you to meet. And he sent me over to meet these guys who were looking for a screenwriter. And I walk into the office of this little production company I, in, out in the valley. And, and there are all these character actors from the godfather literally sitting in the outer <laughs> office and just schmoozing you know it's like hey how you doing you know it's like okay great and i i i say i'm here to see i won't mention his name just in case he's still out there and comes gunning for me um but this guy his big hulking guy comes out from the back looking like another character actor from the godfather with the bent nose, go, hey, Steve, it's good to meet you. Come on in. Come talk to us. Oh, I'm scared to death now at this point. It's like, okay, my first screenwriting job might be my last as well, because this guy could take me out in a second. So anyway, I, I ended up doing a movie, I writing a spec script for them based on the life of a real prize fighter who I got to meet and... Uh, it, we went. Uh, we met with Tony Danza, who was supposed to be playing him in this movie. I ended up writing this script, and it was always, "Don't worry, we'll take care of you." I mean, there was never a contract, there was never any payment, but don't worry, we'll take care of you. And my payment for doing the script was a part in a horror movie that they were filming. I won't mention the name <laughs> of that either. Um, because, and I shot, I, I shot my scene or scenes on the first day of filming. And I played a guy who's out walking alongside this lake with his girlfriend and this woman who's possessed by a demon who's hiding in the bushes, uh, kills us telepathically. Well, at least, you know, there's less blood. It, it, It was a lot of blood. I was hooked up with these tubes and this blood comes gushing out from all over the place. And I had to, you know, once all the blood is sucked out of me, I had to fall to the ground. Well, we were shooting in in January in Chatsworth at a very cold lakeside house. And I had to fall, but they didn't tell me that where I was falling was actually like a little cliff. I mean, it wasn't a big, you know, I didn't fall 400 feet or anything, but I I had to fall and it wasn't level ground. And I ended up separating my ribs. Oh, man. On the first take. And then we ended up having to do six more and I had to keep falling on these damaged ribs. Now, luckily, it was so cold that I didn't know my ribs were damaged until I got back in the house and I got to take a shower and wash off all this fake blood. And once I warmed up, I was in agony. Oh man. So uh, rather than one day shooting, 
one, rather than one day shooting, uh, they did, the, the Screen Actors Guild determined that I had been contracted for the wrong day or something, so that I really was owed two days uh, of payment. So I got. I know guys with bent noses are really pleased. They to were, hear yeah, that. they were not thrilled, uh, and I got uh, two days of uh, of day shooting and uh, more of of my effort. They uh, cut my scenes, and I ended up on the cutting room floor. Oh, jeez. Well, actually, it wasn't because of my performance or anything. It was because the director on the first day of shooting was so bad, they fired him, and so they just dumped everything he had shot. Oh, boy. Well, before I get to my bent-nose story, <laughs> you, you just reminded me. I did an episode of Chicago Hope once, and I was to play a, uh, a, a craps player, who suddenly collapsed right next to Mark Harmon. <laughs> and Mark Harmon's character, uh, he was an addicted gambler, and he was not even supposed to be in a casino. So when people started calling for a doctor, he had to act like he was not a doctor. Now, the guy who played the doctor was uh, a brain surgeon, a real brain surgeon, and at the time he was also lieutenant governor of the state of Nevada, and that's really the only reason that he got that role. Now, the director, uh, Bill D'Elia, who directed many, many episodes of uh, Ally McBeal, and he's a very established television director, he had a vision for this scene that uh, was done with a steady cam, and this steady cam would... Uh, literally circle this entire craps table before landing on me. And when uh, the, it hit there, I was uh, just sort of side-eye watching for a cue from an assistant director to go through my whole collapse, clutch my chest, and slide down Mark Harmon to the floor as the camera followed me. So, you know, it was a complex shot. A lot of moving parts, a lot of moving people getting the all the cables and stuff in the right location. Now, once I hit the floor, then they tilted the Steadicam up to this guy, the real-life brain surgeon. And um, he was supposed to say, I'm a doctor. His only line, I'm a doctor. He was a doctor, should be pretty easy to say. Fifty-four takes later... <laughs> 54 takes of me collapsing to the floor. And because I was collapsing to the floor, they couldn't put a pad down there because that would have been on camera. And, uh, you know, thank you, Mark Harmon. He helped me up every single time. He was getting tired of hauling me up. And so on about the 52nd take, he says to me, what's the matter with that guy? And I said, I don't know. He should be able to do it. He's a real doctor. In fact, uh, he's a uh, neurosurgeon. And Harmon looks at me. He turns around to the guy and goes, oh, come on, Doc. You can do it. It's not brain surgery. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I'm a fan of Mark Harmon because I've, I've watched every episode of NCIS for 15 years. So uh, wow. some several times, actually. And, you know, uh, when you said you slid down Mark Harmon, I know a lot of women who would love to be doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think I do, too. Uh, uh, Pam Dauber might have something to say she about might. that. Though. She might. But, but anyway, now jump into my bent nose stuff. I 
didn't actually know this guy personally, but it was a really big name entertainer. And when I say big name entertainer, I'm talking big name entertainer. And um, I was doing some stuff around this guy, literally at the end of his life. So I met his uh, his manager. His I actually met the manager many times. And suddenly I became this manager's go-to guy in Vegas. Now the manager um, was highly connected. I think he might have been made, but he was highly connected. He, the only way he ever spoke to me was putting his lips next to my ear and whispering as if I was his attorney in court. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that sounds pretty creepy, actually. <laughs> and, and, and he always expected me to come through for him when I was working at the Desert Inn. So... Uh, one day, I, I went to the uh, assistant hotel manager who handled actually all the, the room assignments and setups, and I said, I, I need a suite. Um, we need to comp it, and uh, we need it for this weekend. Well, we can't do it this weekend. We're, we're fully booked. I said, oh, that's a problem. Don't we have some super secret unbooked suite? Well, we do, but we have to hang on to that in case we get like a whale coming in. So this guy kind of equals a whale. And then uh, she said, uh, well, the only way I can do it is if I get authorization from the CEO. So I, I go up to the CEO and uh, said, you know, um, I need this room for this guest. And the guy said, well, can you tell me who the guest is? As soon as I mentioned the guest name, he said, no problem presidential suite if we have to. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I never had any issues with this guy, but I could have. Well, you you, you don't want to get in, into trouble with, with guys who talk, who just whisper in your ear and have a bent nose. That's not the kind right. of guy you want on your bad side. <laughs> and uh, then here's my scary one. This is really my scary one. Uh, I, uh, for a while, I was connected with a guy who was... Um, you were connected? Uh, I would, you know, with this guy, uh, who was a, uh, oh, kind of a minor league, yet Broadway um, musical director. And uh, he was associated with a lot of names you've heard of, Kathy Rigby, Carol Channing, uh, Juliet Prowse. So... He, you know, he knew what he was doing, even though he was still considered kind of a minor league guy. So uh, he came to me once and always said, oh, we have to do a project together. So he comes to me and he says, hey, uh, I, I think I have us a project. Let's go talk to this guy. And I immediately recognized the name. And this guy did have a, a Tony Award in his background. So we went and... I said, uh, uh, I understand you have an idea for a, uh, a Broadway musical, and I'm really interested to hear it to see if maybe I might be the, the right book writer and my friend might be the, the right composer and lyricist. So let's hear your idea. And the guy says, a dance number with a dummy. That's it? I said, I said and? and? He said, no, th that's it. Uh, I, I choreographed uh, this dance number with a dummy for a, a woman once, and, and it was really funny. I said, so that's like the whole idea. <laughs> and he said, yeah. 
And I said, okay, well, let us talk it over and think about it. So we go out, and my friend says, this guy's connected to all kinds of producing money. We have got to do this. We, we could get an original musical on Broadway just because this guy's connected, no problem with theaters, etc." So I came home, and I started thinking, dance number with a dummy. What should I do? What should I do? And it struck me, how about not the actual story, but the idea of Weekend at Bernie's? Oh. So that, that uh, in like the opening scene, we kill off this guy. It's a trouble to kill him off, and so they have to keep him alive. And then that would allow for a dance number with a dummy. So I, I put together a storyline, and uh, then I thought, okay, well, this is a pretty original story. And uh, my friend did some spec uh, songs, and again, they were, you know, original stuff. So I called um, my trade guild and said, what should I do? And they said, well, you need to copyright it. So we did. And then we took it and presented it to this guy. And he kind of looked at it, and he went, huh. Copyright. Why is my name not on there? Now, I didn't do the explanation. My friend did. That, well, you know, you actually didn't have a story. We created the story, so we're copywriting it. He says, oh, okay. Then I'm out of town doing a gig, and I get a call from my friend, and he says, uh, they want to talk to us tonight. And I said, I'm out of town. Because well, you've got to find a way to get back here. It's really important because it's the money people who want to talk to us tonight. And if we don't talk to them tonight, then they may just drop the whole thing. So, got a flight. Made it. We uh, arrive at the um, guy who had the brilliant idea's house. And we go in, and there's like four guys with bent noses. And they want to know why we stole this guy's idea. And what we're going to do about it. Now, that's one guy who's doing the talking, and he, he looks like somebody right out of The Godfather. I mean, he's sort of a cross between Al Pacino and James Caan. <laughs> and the the other guys look like uh, Lucas Brazzi, you know. <laughs> and, and so now my friend started arguing with him. And I said, hey, hey, no, 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 no. you can have it. You can take the whole thing, which was literally just a two-page treatment at the time. It's yours. Go for it, dudes. And, and I said, hey, come on. Well, we, we have another appointment. And we skedaddled out of there. Uh, we went to a coffee shop, and we ran into uh, a mutual friend who had many times worked with guys with bent noses. And we told him about this. And we told him about the guy. And he goes, hey, man, you guys are just lucky you survived. You were talking to, and he mentioned a specific family, oh. a specific, very scary family. And then I started wondering about this Tony Award. Huh. Well, because, you know, I saw the Broadway show, and, and I don't actually remember the guy's name on the show when, when I saw it. But I had a friend who was featured in the show. The other person that I know who had been in the show had passed away. But I, I called the friend who was featured in the show. I said, what can you tell me about this? And I gave her the name of the guy who had the brilliant uh, dance with the dummy idea. <laughs> and she said, oh, man, stay away from him. He is just bad news. 
And I said, well, he, he won a Tony for your show. And she said, he choreographed 24 bars of tap for the show. 24 bars. Because the main choreographer was not a tap specialist. The dancer who was a tap tapper and who did choreograph his own numbers wasn't interested in choreographing this little 24-bar segment. So he uh, choreographed it, and then when the um, the contracts uh, specifying billing went out, uh, he saw that he was mentioned in the special thanks session, section, but not as a choreographer. So he talked to his guys with bent noses, and they came and uh, put the uh, actual choreographer in the hospital. Oh. And uh, so they uh, suggested to the producer that they might want to increase their own medical coverage. And that's how he got uh, co-choreographer credit. Then the uh, choreographer, uh, Tony, literally went to the actual choreographer. It's just that now they were co-choreographers. And so that was it. Lovely. I had, had, there was a time when I was in high school where I actually had to... uh, it in a sense call upon the bent noses to help me out. I was Ooh. I was on the Marshall Squad, and the Marshall Squad was simply you had a post somewhere in the high school, and people had to come and show you their pass to go down the hall. And I had this one kid I knew from I might have been in my home homeroom. I don't remember, but I had a, a post outside the lunchroom, and he comes and goes. I I, I got to go to the bathroom. I, I don't have a pass, but I'll here. I'll leave my student ID with you. And he drops his whole wallet on the desk, and I say, "Well, don't leave your wallet." I said, "I'm off in in a, a minute. As soon as the bell rings, I have to go to my next class. I can't watch your wallet." Oh, I'll be right. Back. I'll be right back. Well, he didn't come back. The bell rang, and I went off, and I didn't think to pick up his wallet. I left it there, and it was stolen. So all of a sudden, this kid is threatening me. That you know, I, you 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 had my wallet. You owe me everything that was in that wallet. You owe me the cash. You owe me. You pay me to replace this, that, and the other thing, and all this stuff. And I'm going, no, I don't owe you anything. I told you not to leave it, and you chose to leave it. So this guy actually follows me home one day, and he and a bunch of friends are waiting in a car outside my house and said some threatening things. And I told my dad about it. My dad at the time was running a company. It was polyethylene packaging. He said, well, he said, let me talk. I know the union guys. You know, I'm, I'm really friendly with the union guys uh, who rep the factory. They're talking to me all the time about labor issues. And, uh, you know, they have, uh, let me talk to them. They said, why? What are you going to talk to them? And he comes home. He says, okay. They offered to send the union goons <laughs> to rough this kid up. High school, eh? <laughs> and Yeah. And I, and I go, oh, whoa, wait a minute. I said, I, I don't think I want to have the kid killed or anything. Oh, no, they'll just rough him up. So he follows, the kid follows me home from school again. And I try to ignore him. And he jumps out of the car and he calls me and he comes over and 
you know, he's like, he grabs my, my lapels and he's threatening me and he knocks my, so it's, and, and oh, I'm carrying all these books. And I finally, I had it and I threw the books to the ground. I shoved them back into the bush. Stay off my back or I'll have you killed. <laughs> and you could do it. Yeah. I never, never heard from him again. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was not exactly threatening. So I don't know if he just went, oh, shit, he's, he's, you know, he's standing up to me. Or if my dad actually sent the Union goons down to talk to him. I, to this day, I have no idea. Well, actually, see, we just have to explain to all our listeners that Steve and I just made up this stuff, and we don't know anybody no. who may or may not be connected. Not a soul. I don't know anybody not connected nobody. to anything. If I knew people <laughs> connected, I wouldn't be sitting here in, in uh, where I live. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you don't want to give your location at this point. So I... I have I have something that I would like to like to bitch about. Okay, what's your bitch, Steve? Facebook again, again. I, I did they do it again? Well, you know, but today Facebook's all over the news mm-hmm. because they let this company steal millions of user information and with without publicizing our podcast they stole the information they, they didn't did. steal the podcast. They refused. <laughs> they refused to to cover the podcast, but. They'll be happy to cover the Trump campaign and all their false crap. I think, but I do want to say, I, I think it's time for social media to go bye-bye. Well, or at least to uh, take a timeout. Take a timeout, indeed. You know, I, I wanted to, I want to send this message out to all my Facebook friends that if you really want to stay friends with me, you'll message me and send me your email address because I am, I, I'm, I'm putting a time limit on this, but after a certain amount of time, I'm deleting my Facebook account if I can figure out how to do it. It's not that easy. Uh, no, I've, I've been trying to delete an account that Facebook set up for me. Yeah. I've been trying to delete it for like eight months. My daughter tried to delete it, and it's still hanging out there. I mean, that's not right. You should be able to delete yourself from the internet if you want. They had, in fact, they had a, there was a whole lawsuit um, in, I think, Great Britain, UK. I'm sorry, it's not Great Britain any, anymore. There's nothing great about it. It's, it's, it's pretty it's, good Britain. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay, Britain. <laughs> uh, it's UK Britain. And they had that, that uh, thing where they were suing Google because people should have the right to be forgotten. That's true. And once you're Who are you again? I no. I I haven't looked in a mirror lately. Even then I can't figure it out because I don't look anything like I used to look. So I think I have been replaced by uh, a a robot. Oh, that is very possible. You know, given given where you are working these days, I, I read an article, I think it was in the New York Times, could have been the Washington Post over the weekend, and you know what it was about? I don't. It was about Big box store disorganization and specifically addressed your workplace and the other big box store. Actually, uh, yours got a slightly higher rating because apparently there weren't as many people lying in the aisles. But um, (laughs) you weren't there on the right day. You know, I don't shop big box stores. Uh, I, well, he did mention the dollar fifty hot dogs and drinks. You just gave it away. You might as well say the well, no, name the, because the other the other oh, one does it too. Oh, they apparently. do. Yeah, the other one does the same deal. It might not be as high quality. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> but any, but anyway, since I don't shop big box stores because I don't need to buy, you know, a, a ten year supply of uh, of toilet tissue, you you can tell me uh, is is the store as disorganized as they uh, as they may have said they went to the uh, Westchester County store in New York and said they were doing things like finding bedding in the middle of produce. So, that could have been intentional. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because, you know, the whole idea in in, in big box stores, especially uh, the one that... Now, I don't work in, in... First of all, they're not stores. We don't have stores. You have what? We have warehouses. Well, that, I was getting that picture. Yeah. 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 We, don't, we don't call them stores. And if you call them stores at, at the corporate headquarters where I am currently working, I wouldn't be working there anymore. Oh, my. Um, they're very sensitive about that. They were, they're not stores. We don't have customers. Um, we have members. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but there is this whole attitude that you should be able to walk around and be surprised by what you're seeing you know that's why there is no store store you got me doing it now i'm fired (laughs) uh there's there are no uh directories to tell you where products are you have to go and find them because the feeling is well there's all this other cool stuff that people don't know about and they won't see it unless they're if they went exactly to what they were looking for and got it and left. Hmm. So they kind of make you walk around the whole place, going, "Oh, I need that. Oh, I need that." Yeah, and uh, here, here was another surprise in that article. The person who wrote the article visited several uh, locations of both big box stores, and here's what they discovered. Nobody cared that they didn't have membership cards. There was nobody checking cards. You just sailed through every single location. Yeah, of course I, that may be, that may have changed after this article was published. I don't think you would find that at ours. Um, we there are always people at the door checking. Now it sometimes it gets chaotic at at the front door, and people are streaming in all at the same time, and you got one person checking IDs and sometimes they might miss one or two. Okay. So sometimes you can get in, but you can't get out. Uh-huh. Because you get your items, you go up to a cash register. If you don't have a membership card, bye-bye. The stuff's going back to the shelf. Wow. Well, you know the uh the other big box store I did learn through this article. The other big box store has an app that you can download to your phone. Right. And when you uh, pick an item up off the shelf, you can scan the UPC and then you don't even have to stop at the cash registers on the way out. You get billed once you leave the store. Yeah. That's like the... Now, first of all, I I just have to correct something. There are more than just two big box stores. Well, only two real ones. Only two that count. But actually only one that counts because uh, (laughs) the one that comes from Walmart uh, is is going defunct. They've closed so many stores. I don't know how many are left. Yeah, well, that's good. By the way, you were talking about sort of arranging, you know, the merchandise so that uh, you were surprised in the store. How about this for a surprise? You're walking down an aisle. And a woman telepathically kills you. I like it. I think it, it might be time for a remake of that movie. 
just inside the big box store. By the way, that movie, um, I, here's another interesting story about it, I, and I'm still not giving the name, but the actress who was playing the lead in that film was almost blinded. Whoa. Because the, they hired two young guys <laughs> to be makeup artists on the movie who had no experience as makeup artists. Now, I don't know where they are today. They might uh you know they they maybe they're legitimate makeup artists at this point or maybe they're under that lake but they were they she sued the company because whatever makeup they did with her eyes damaged her eyesight and she was almost blinded wow you see when you told me that you had an actress blinded i immediately envisioned you exposing yourself to her that would do it that way, I've, yeah. I've, I've had many dates uh, blinded from, <laughs> from that, which is why I'm not seeing anyone right now. Uh, the word has gotten out, oh, and, and I can't. <laughs> well, well, I'm looking at the little time counter. There is oh, one my, more thing I want to bitch what, about. Okay, hurry, because we're out of time. Okay, well, here's the thing, and it's very fast. It, it has to be very fast. You know, one of the things about aging and I want to ask you, if you run into this same thing, okay, you're at some place, you're about to leave, you look over, there's a men's room, and you say, better pee before I go. <laughs> Hello? Can you hear me? <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I had to go pee. <laughs> oh, um, well, we probably should because we're out of time. <laughs> Peeing is now. Now remember back to our very first podcast. I think it was where I had the idea for the sound chip to to have oh, yeah. for to, old to guys, make people impressed, so that, yeah. so that we you know the for the younger people in there they hear this loud stream coming from you and go, well, it can't be that old. He's got a good healthy stream. So now we, I think we are out of time. So it's time to piss off. <laughs> Okay, well, that's it. This is Old Guys Bitching. I'm Steve. And I'm Byron, unless you're connected. (laughs) No Brent noses around here.